Today's reading is from 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 11 to 17. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honour the emperor. Sue and I live directly opposite a childcare centre. Parking is always tight. And a while ago, I was about to head out to an appointment, got in my car, backing up the driveway, and there was a car parked about a third of the way across my driveway, making it impossible to get out. I recognised the car. It belonged to one of the staff that work in the childcare centre, and I knew he was going to be there the whole day. Now, what goes through a pastor's mind at times like this, you might ask? Well, I expect it's pretty well much the same as what goes through your mind. I mean, I was irritated. I mean, they were being so selfish. You know, and I started to think about all my options. And here are some of the ones that were running through my head. Uh, firstly, I could let the air out of their tyres. Second thought that came to me was I could slash their tyres. Or the third one, I could call the, the parking inspector from the council to come and give them a big fine. Because I think it's so important that people learn from their mistakes. I mean, don't you? Well, fortunately, I've just been ready through 1 Peter, which includes these words. Chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from the sinful desires that wage war against your souls. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So how do I apply that to my driveway problem? You know, they should see my good deeds. Well, I mean, clearly it was important that no one saw me slashing the tyres. Now, but seriously, how do I commend God to others by the way I live? Last week, we looked at 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verses 4 to 10. It talks about the core vocation for Christians. You know, we're living stones, priests, a holy nation. At 24-7, we serve as God's representatives in this world. Now, over the next three weeks, we're looking more carefully at how we minister to unbelievers around us. And what I'd like to do at the start of these three weeks is just take a few moments to step back and to frame this section. And I'm talking about 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 to chapter 3, verse 7. And my hope is we'll be able to see how this section of the Bible works. So the big idea of the section, it's captured in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Those, those are the verses I just read. We are, chapter 2, verse 11, foreigners and exiles. Ultimately, we're not citizens of Australia or any other nation. If you're a believer, then heaven is where you belong. Don't sin. We're not to adopt the values of a world that doesn't know God. 
it goes on. Live good lives among the pagans or the unbelievers so they'll glorify God on the days that he visits us. Our deepest desire is that when Jesus returns, people we live with will have become believers. Now, we also get not only the big idea, but some key values that control our thinking and behaviours so that we can point unbelievers to Jesus. Let me highlight three of the values that come out come up throughout this section. The first is do good. This operates like a drumbeat throughout the section. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 12, live such good lives that they may see your good deeds. Or chapter 2, verse 20, we're to suffer for doing good. Chapter 3, verse 6, do what is right. And actually it's the same word, good. Do what is good. Uh, The good or the good deeds here, they're, they're acts of kindness or mercy or generosity. And the the idea is to mirror the wonderful goodness of God to other people. The second value that that comes up repeatedly is to do it for the Lord's sake. Again, this phrase and idea, it's repeated throughout the whole section. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 13, we're to submit for the Lord's sake. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 19, we're to do things because we're conscious of God. Or chapter 2, verse 20, uh, because it's commendable before God or then in chapter 3, verse 4, to live in God's sight. Most of us go through life uh, trying to please or to win the approval of others. Might be parents or peers or teachers or coaches or bosses, a spouse, children or grandchildren. But the goal here is not, not to make friends, but to live for God's approval, to serve others so that they can believe. Then the third value is to freely submit. When you become a Christian, you're set free from, from sin, death, judgment. But we're to use this freedom to be God's slaves. That's why you get that, that strange turn of phrase in chapter 2, verse 16. Live as free people, live as God's slaves. Now that we're told will mean submitting. Uh, verse 13 of chapter 2, submit yourselves to every human authority. Chapter 2, verse 18, slaves are instructed to submit to their masters. And in chapter 3, verse 1, wives are to submit themselves to their own husbands. Now, I get the the whole idea that uh, submission is not politically correct in our egalitarian and individualistic society. So next week and the week after, I'm going to dig into that issue more and more. So the big idea, the three values, then what we have are three case studies where the big idea and the values are applied. In verses 13 to 17, how do believers commend Jesus to non-Christian authorities? Then in verses 18 to 25, how do believing slaves commend Jesus to non-Christian masters? And in chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, how do believers commend Jesus to their non-Christian spouses? So the principle, commend the gospel to unbelievers. Key values, live good lives, motivated by allegiance to the Lord and to submit. And then three case studies where the values are applied. So today, let's turn our attention to that first case study, which is submitting to human authorities, verses 13 to 17 of chapter 2. So look at chapter 2, verse 13 uh, with me. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. 
In the first century, uh, Christians were seen as an emerging and potentially subversive religious sect. In the Roman Empire, there were lots of religions and stacks of gods. Uh, the Roman emperor, emperor, he was seen as a god. But Christians were saying there was only one god and it wasn't Caesar. Now, the human authority spoken of in 1 Peter, uh, that is here in the first century, it was really different to our context. The emperor was a dictator. Uh, there were no checks and balances on his power. And it's a really sharp contrast, contrast to our own democratic system of government where, where politicians are accountable. Now, these believers are being called upon to submit to that authority. But I want you to notice that they're asked to submit themselves. They're voluntarily choosing to bring themselves under the authority of these civic leaders. Not necessarily obey, we'll come back to that, but definitely to recognise the legitimate authority of these people that God has placed there. Now, I want you also to notice the assumption uh, that these rulers won't always be reasonable. In verse 14, it speaks about what rulers are meant to do. You know, punish those who do wrong, commend those who do right. But the emperors of the first century, they weren't known for sticking to these parameters. So the submission, respect and honour is to be given, not just when the authorities act in ways that you agree with or you think are just and fair. Now, notice the reason for the submission to these authorities. It's firstly for the Lord's sake. So if you're a follower of Jesus, then you live under God's loving rule. That means you honour him by acknowledging, respecting and honouring the authority of those that God has placed in these ruling roles. And the goal of this, verse 15, well, is that by God's will, that doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Now, this sounds a little bit harsh to our ears, but it's just saying that they're ignorant about God. Then we get the contrast in verse 16. Don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. We don't want our actions to obscure the gospel or to give people any reason not to believe. I can still remember one day after coffee out in the churchyard and a newcomer came up to me and they asked about one of the people that they'd spotted across the courtyard over the other side. And they asked me, they said, is that person a Christian? And I confirmed that they regularly attended our church and then this newcomer said, I've got contact with him professionally. You know, I would never have guessed that he was a believer. Friends, notice also in verse 16, we're to live as free people, but we're not to use our freedom as a cover up for evil. We're to live as God's slaves. Now in our culture, freedom is associated with self-determination. But a Christian understanding of freedom is radically different. God has freed us from self-focus, self-service to serve him and others around us. That is real freedom. That's the picture we get in verses 13 to 17. What I'd like to do for just a few moments is to ask, what does this mean for us 
in 21st century Australia. Uh, we don't live in the Roman Empire. So what does submitting to human authority look like for 21st century believers? Firstly, it will mean giving proper respect and honour to these authorities. Australians, we, we tend to be cynical and anti-authority. Uh, the tall poppy syndrome, it's still alive and well. Criticising those in public office, it's a national sport. And the polls in Australia, they, they show that politicians are some of the least trusted and respected people in our country. Now, can I say that should not be the case in the culture among believers. We're to pray for them. We're to pray for the Prime Minister, the Premier, members of Parliament, both state and federal, local council members. We should be praying for our police. They have such a challenging job. Uh, if you're a school student, then it's appropriate for you to be praying for your teachers and for your principal. If you're at university, praying for those who have governing responsibility on the campus, and so it goes. We should obey them. Now, a lot of the time, that'll, that'll make perfectly good sense. Uh, we don't have to be encouraged to drive on the left-hand side of the road. Uh, we get the fact that we shouldn't murder people. It's not good for a society, society to be able to do that. Uh, we know evildoers should be properly punished for their crimes. However, I suspect there are lots of ways that we can hang really loosely to the authority of governing rulers uh, when it suits us. We can choose to self-govern, which is human nature apart from God. See, when it comes to speed limits, uh, some of us treat them more like a general guideline. Friends, we're to submit here for the Lord's sake. But let me also say there are limits to our obedience. If we turn to a place like Acts chapter 4 and 5 in the New Testament, we'd see there on two occasions Peter, the one who's the author of the letter that we're looking at, he's arrested. He's brought before the religious authorities and strictly told not to teach any more about Jesus. On both occasions, Peter says he must obey God and that will mean disobeying those leaders. Notice in chapter uh, 2 of 1 Peter and verse 17. See what it says there. Fear God, honour the emperor. In the first century, the emperor was regarded as a god. But not so, says Peter. There is only one God and you should above all else fear and respect him. As to the emperor, he's God's servant. Therefore, honour him. You see, our first allegiance will always be to God. Um, just as an aside, uh, Peter and the apostles are definitely doing good in Acts chapter 4 and 5. They heal many, they care for the poor. But can I say it doesn't silence the talk of the foolish men in that instance. It doesn't prevent them from being beaten and threatened. So in what situations will we find ourselves having to choose between God and human authority? Well, just a few months ago, and even currently, the government has banned Christians from certain meetings, especially in the larger Sunday gatherings. Now, some Christian churches have ignored this instruction. After all, they go to a place like Hebrews chapter 10 in the New Testament, and it says we shouldn't stop meeting together. So here are a few thoughts. 
With the pandemic, we're caught up in a general good situation and a harm situation. And we do want to be seen as doing good, playing our part as Christian communities. The rules that were introduced were to keep everybody safe. Uh, it's appropriate to respect and submit to authorities when they're trying to achieve health for the general community. Christians weren't banned from meeting. It's just the number was being restricted and our proximity to one another. And also we weren't being targeted or singled out because we're believers. Now, we could always argue about the wisdom of having thousands of people at football matches, uh, lots of kids at school, but limits on weddings, funerals and church services. But in the end, this is a judgment matter and we need to respect those who have the responsibility of making those judgments even if we think we could have made better judgments. I mean, that's the whole definition of submission, isn't it? Now, I don't think there was any basis for Christians to insist we should ignore authorities in order to meet in the sort of numbers and in the particular building that we wanted to meet in. Uh, change the lens. What about a law that meant a doctor was not allowed to refuse to perform an abortion? Now, let me say at that point, conscience would dictate obedience to God and not to the authorities. Or maybe in my situation, I hold a marriage licence from the federal government. What if I was told I must marry same-sex couples? I couldn't in good conscience do this. So at that point, I could either ignore the instruction, uh, obey God and face the consequences, or I could hand in my marriage licence. Or again, different situation. What about human rights protests on issues such as democracy in Hong Kong or Black Lives Matter? Now, they might be issues you feel really strongly and passionate about. Uh, should you march if it's banned? Uh, do you protest or not in that way? Now, my judgment in this matter is that, is that we should honour authorities, right, do good, serve the Lord, trying to win the salvation of many. Christians will have different views in different countries, uh, different regimes, different circumstances, different times. However, even if we profoundly disagree with the authorities and their decisions, we're still to be respectful and honouring of those have been placed in authority over us. So moving on, to what degree then should we as Christians engage in the political process? We aren't in a totalitarian regime. We live in a democracy. Our government is accountable to the Australian people and their behaviour and their decisions, they're subject to scrutiny. So here are a few thoughts. We should vote. Now, in part, that's because at the federal and state levels, it's mandated, we're required to do so. But also because this is the way we appropriately hold our politicians accountable. It's entirely appropriate to also write to, uh, to attempt to persuade those who are in office to use their power in line with what's good for our people, for our city, for our state, for our nation and the world. Uh, so, for example, if a parliament is debating euthanasia, it's a good thing to write to the MPs and explain your perspective on it. It's part of doing 
good. But do understand the limits of trying to get good laws passed or to influence policy. The goal of submitting to authorities is not to get good laws passed. That's not what what we're being told here in 1 Peter chapter 2. That may be a good secondary outcome, but the primary goal is that unbelievers, including the authorities, they'll see our good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. It's the salvation of many that's our primary prayerful desire. Second thing to bear in mind is good laws do not convert anyone because good laws, good laws they can only modify external behaviours. They can't change the human heart. You see, it's only God by his word and by his spirit that can do that. It also raises a question about what do you do when doing good is regarded by our society as doing bad. Uh, In recent years, Christians have been in a minority and often vilified when they've spoken out about uh, same-sex marriage or abortion or euthanasia or a range of other ethical issues. Now, given that we're trying to live good lives to commend the gospel to others, when we speak on some issues, we can be seen as being evil, not good. So should we just go quiet? No. It seems to me that Jesus spoke on a range of topics that didn't make him especially popular, but he still spoke with courage and with conviction. However, when we do it, we are to do it with grace and winsomeness. We won't adopt the tactics that destroy people rather than speak to the issues. And friends, we just need to constantly remember that we want to be good citizens of this country. But most importantly, we must remember we're citizens of heaven. We're foreigners and exiles. In my passport, it says my nationality is Australian. And while I currently dwell in this country, that's true, but my citizenship, it's in heaven. My first allegiance is to the Lord and that will shape my loyalties. Uh, Emperors and prime ministers and premiers and presidents, they come and go. But we serve the Lord who will return in glory and he will reign forever. And therefore, our first concern will be that people will join us in glorifying God on the day that he visits us. Friends, we, we shouldn't underestimate the impact of doing good on unbelievers around us. John Dixon has written a really helpful book. It's this one here called Promoting the Gospel. In it, he refers to an interview that Andrew Denton did on the ABC with Tim Winton. Uh, Tim is a leading Australian novelist. And Denton asked him how he became a follower of Jesus. Winton explained that his father was a policeman and that in the mid-1960s, he was really badly injured when he was knocked off his police motorcycle by a drunk driver. He was in a coma uh, for a number of weeks, and then the rehab at home was a difficult process on everyone in the family, including his father. Winton's dad was a big man, and Winton's mum just couldn't even bathe him. Tim was only five at the time, and he, he was no help at all. The news of this injury got out into the local community and one day there was a knock on the door. There was a bloke standing there and he said, G'day, 
My name's Len. I hear your hubby is a bit crook. Anything I can do? Now, Lynn Thomas was from a local church and he just wanted to help. And Tim Winton told Denton in this interview, he just showed up. And he used to carry my dad from his bed and put him in the bath and he used to bathe him, which in the 1960s in Perth and the suburbs was not the sort of thing you saw every day. And this act of kindness, it had a huge effect on Winton, this strangely sacrificial act. It was the doorway that the whole Winton family walked through to hear about Jesus and to become his followers. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Live such good lives among the pagans that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Friends, don't underestimate the impact of doing good. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your grace and mercy towards us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask that you will help us to live faithfully to you in this world and to represent you well as we try and extol your virtues to others. Help us to live such good lives among the people around us that they might be drawn to you and keen to hear more, ask questions and put their trust in the Lord Jesus. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.